In John, the fifth chapter, we find an interesting account of Jesus who gave testimony concerning him being the Son of God. And John chapter 5, this is a testimony that Jesus gave, and, and I pictured it almost like a lawyer who gets up into a, to a stand and he starts uh, giving testimony of different witnesses that have given testimony, and then he calls different ones to the stand. And in John, the fifth chapter, we find that Jesus actually calls to the stand, if we think about it that way, the, in which we find a number of different places in the Old Testament that talks about God giving testimony in similar way, that God first said the Father testified of him, or the Father gave witness of him. The word testimony, the word witness is the same, the same word in the actually in the original language. And then going on down, we'll find that John the Baptizer also gave testimony, and that's verses 33 through 35. Then a third witness that was called to the stand was the works that Jesus did, the miracle signs and wonders that we looked at last week, and we considered a few of those different things, gave testimony concerning who Jesus was. Then we also find that the Old Testament scriptures gave testimony, and that's verse 39. Search the scriptures for in them, they, you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And then the final one that Jesus gave in this particular chapter is the lawgiver Moses, and that's verses 45 through 47. Now, I think that would make a pretty good sermon just by itself, and we could look at all those things. And in fact, in my apologetics class on OABS, I gave 10 witnesses and the first five were the five that were found here. And then I gave some additional ones. And if you go on through the book of John, you'll find some additional ones within the book. But then you find some outside of the book of John as well. But these are the testimonies that were given. But we want to focus upon the testimony of the Father. We want to focus on the witness of the Father. Now, as we look at the scriptures we find that the witness of the Father came in three basic categories. The first category would be it came by audible voice. Now that's the part that we're going to focus upon this evening, but we just need to keep in mind that it was by, by audible voice. And then it came by the revelation of the Old Testament scriptures. And what we mean by that is that God inspired the Old Testament scriptures and because of his inspiration of the Old Testament scriptures, we know that he testified through the scriptures he provided for the Israelite people. I mean, after all, that's exactly what Peter had in mind when he referred to the inspiration of the Bible, or more specifically, the inspiration of the Old Testament, when he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. And then he spoke about the words of prophecy that it came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1 and uh, verses 22 and 23. But then the third way that God testified of who Jesus was, was by the works that Jesus did. The Father sent Jesus to do. And in fact, that's really... One of the things that it's more specifically verse 32 of our text was and is specifically about that. 
that God sent Jesus to do certain works. And the works that he did testified of him. Now, in looking at this, what is interesting about it, that the Jews of the first century, they rejected all three forms and all three testimonies that God the Father gave. They rejected every one of them. They rejected the audible voices that we're, we'll be looking at. They rejected the revelation of the Old Testament. And that's the point Jesus made in this particular passage in, in verse 39. And they also rejected the works that Jesus did. They recognized the works as being miracles, but they, had, they testified it was from the works of Beelzebub. So, you know, they rejected the works that the Father sent Jesus to do. Now, we are concerned with the audible voices of God and the audible declarations that God made or the audible testimony that God made. And that's what we're going to be looking at. Now, in review, we noted that there are three audible voices, but then what are those three audible testimonies that we have? Well, the first audible testimony took place at the baptism of Jesus, and most of us recognize that, and we'll be looking at it in more detail. Then the second time it took place is the transfiguration. And oftentimes, when you ask people, when did God testify of Jesus, or when did he speak from heaven, they'll give these two things. But there is a third one as well. And that is the agony of Jesus before the cross, which we'll go into more detail when we get to there. So let's look at the baptism of Jesus, begin there. Then we'll look at the, the transfiguration of Jesus. And finally, we'll look at the agony of Jesus before the cross. Now, these three represent the beginning, the middle, and the end of his ministry. We know that his ministry began with... His baptism. And so it represents the beginning of his ministry. The transfiguration, we don't know exactly when it took place as far as the date or the time or anything like that. But we know it was about the middle of his ministry because of where it fits within the scriptures and, and that kind of thing. But then also when we look at the agony of Jesus, that took place at the end of his ministry. And in fact, if we have the account and historical events right we're talking about just about a week maybe a little bit less than a week before he was crucified upon the cross so it represents the beginning the middle and the end of his earthly ministry now the purpose our purpose is to be different and as we look at this this we want to be different than the jews of the first century i always think about Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he said that the Israelites were baptized into Moses. But then he gave the example of the Israelites that they murmured in the wilderness, that they, they chased after other gods. They did all kinds of things in the wilderness. They were not a good example. And they stand as an example not to follow. And that's the point that he made in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Well, the Jews of the first century also stand as an example of those we should not follow. We don't want to follow the example of the Jews of the first century. We want to be different than that. We want to listen to the audible testimonies of the Father. And that's our point in this. 
Now, was, were the Jews of the first century any different than the Jews of any century? Well, no. The Israelites throughout their history, and that's the point that Stephen made in Acts the uh, seventh chapter, actually Acts chapter six and Acts chapter seven. Stephen pointed out that their history very clearly showed they did not listen to God. We can't be like that. We, got, we have to be different. So let's listen to the audible testimony of God from heaven. Now, the first is the baptism of Jesus. And I think all of us know about the baptism of Jesus and different things about it. Now, I'm going to go back over to John, or not John, but Mark, not Mark, Matthew, the third chapter. And we're going to be looking at Matthew's account of this. Now, in Matthew's account, Jesus went to John to be baptized of him. He went down to the Jordan where Jesus or where John was baptizing. This is verse number 13. He actually left Galilee, went to the Jordan, and John baptized almost straight across in the area of the Jordan by not, not far from Jerusalem, straight across east of Jerusalem. And Galilee was way up north. And so he traveled down from Galilee up by the Sea of Galilee, traveled down to the Jordan River to be baptized of Jesus. Now, what did John do? John forbid him, said, no way. There is no way I'm going to baptize you. Well, Jesus then said, suffer it so. And so, so John then baptized him. And John took them, he immersed them into and he immersed them into the water, and straightway he came up. In other words, immediately he came up out of the water. And what happened? The heavens opened. The Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. It doesn't mean he became the figure of a dove, it just means he descended like a dove, came upon Jesus, and then the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now that's Matthew's account of this particular incident. Now all the accounts are basically the same way, although the testimony that the father gave is recorded just a little bit different way. Mark recorded it in Mark 1 in verse number 11. Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then also Luke recorded it, Thou art my beloved son in thee I am well pleased. And so there are two parts then of this testimony that the Father gave. And the first part is, Thou art my beloved Son. Now I titled this particular part as the voice of affirmation. And I think it's important for us to recognize that God affirmed who Jesus was. So the Jews could not later on say, We don't know who Jesus was. God affirmed it directly. I mean, how much more direct can you be than that affirmation that this is my beloved son? There is no direct or more direct way of stating that. The father spoke it from heaven. The Jews would have known about it, though they might not have been there at that present situation. We know that all Judea went out to John to be baptized of him. How many people were there that on this particular occasion? We don't know how many people were there. The text doesn't say. But you know, when things like this happen, you think people are quiet about it? Well, no. They pass on the word. They'll tell others. 
that we saw the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus like a dove, and we also saw the or heard the testimony of God. This is my beloved Son. It is a testimony of God, an audible testimony of God, and a direct affirmation of God. Now later on, at Jesus' mock trial, you remember Jesus, the first place that he went, and the first place that they took him was to to um, uh, the high priest. And he went to the high priest, and the high priest said to Jesus, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Did Jesus need to tell them that he was the Christ? He already had the information. He had rejected it. There was no reason to add that information any more to it. It had already been clearly testified. Well, we find several other occasions that would clearly say that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you not remember also when Jesus walked upon the water? And he walked on the water and the, the disciples that were in the boat, they saw him and what did they do? They said, it's a ghost. In other words, they saw some type of a spirit, some type of a ghost out there walking on the water. And... The Lord comforted them, and Peter said, If it's you, Lord, let me come and walk upon the water. And so Peter got out of the boat, he walked on the water, and as he saw the waves and the wind, he began to sink. We all remember that. And you know, sometimes we give Peter that bum rap. But I'm a little bit like Jim O'Connor. He used to say, you know, he was the only one that got out of the boat. You know, he had enough faith to at least get out of the boat in the first place. Now, he wavered in his faith, and he began to sink. There's no doubt about it, but he at least got out of the boat. The others didn't. Well, Jesus got into the boat with them, and as soon as he got into the boat, the wind and the sea calmed down. Now, you could just imagine that occasion. And what did the disciples do? They came to Jesus and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth. Thou art the Son of God. Once again, this wasn't done in the closet. This was done where nobody, this wasn't done where nobody knew about it. This wasn't done in secret. Everybody would have known about the calming of that sea. And it's interesting that two accounts of the gospel records include that calming of the sea. They understood that. Later on, when Jesus came to the to the apostles and he asked him, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And that's found in Matthew, the 16th chapter. That's verse number 13. And they said, Some say that thou art uh, John the Baptizer, others and some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he asked them more specifically, Whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that's Matthew 16 and verse number 16. And Jesus then testified to Peter that he would have the keys of the kingdom and would open the kingdom up for others. And which is actually given to the apostles over in Matthew the 16th. All the apostles in Matthew 18, rather. That's Matthew 16, Matthew 18. He would give it to all the apostles. Well, if Peter knew, and there are others that testified who Jesus was, that Jesus is the Son of God. If Peter and others knew 
that he was the son of God? Would, could the high priest know? And how did Peter know? How did the apostles know that he was the Christ, the son of God? They saw the testimony of God. They not only saw the testimony of God, they heard the testimony of God. And then you go over to the book of John. In John the 11th chapter, we find the raising of Lazarus from the grave. And in that particular chapter, Jesus didn't go immediately when he heard about Lazarus becoming sick. And he pointed out to the, uh, to the apostles that his sickness was unto death and there was a reason for that sickness. It was for the glorification of God. And during that particular time, Martha was first to come out to Jesus when he came to uh, the area of, of Jerusalem, actually Bethany. And then Martha came out and, he, and Jesus asked her, do you believe that in the Son of God? And she affirmed that she, he, or he, do you believe in the resurrection? And she affirmed that he is the Son of God. Well, that's what the calling of Lazarus from the grave really did. It declared him to be the Son of God. Well, then we also, within our text, says he said from heaven, not only thou art my beloved Son, he says, in whom I am well pleased. That's the voice of commendation. And we actually find different times when God confirmed or gave his commendation of Jesus. But that's really nothing unusual. It was prophesied in the past. Look over to Isaiah 53 and verse 10. We normally think about Isaiah 53 with reference to his death. And that's by far the majority of the, the chapter is about that. It is about his death. But notice what he said in verse number, number uh, 10. He says, It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Now notice, he shall prolong his days. And, notice, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. This is actually the third prophecy concerning this that Isaiah made. That God was, would be pleased with Isaiah, or with uh, Jer Jesus and what he did. And so that's the voice of common commendation the other two are found in isaiah chapter 42 i believe the first one is verse 1 and i forget what the second one is i think it's verse 17 but if you'll read the chapter you'll come across those two times when god prophesied he'd be pleased with what jesus did and so the commendation of jesus is very clear now why would god be why why would god commend jesus well, when you look at the text and really concerning the witness of the Father, concerning the Son, he, he, was, he commended uh, Jesus because he lived for God. Now, he did not serve himself, but rather he served the Father. Look back over to John the 6th chapter in verse 38 because John then makes it abundantly clear. There John recorded the words of Jesus. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. 
Well, Jesus did the will of the Father. That's why the Father was pleased with Him. That's why the Father commended Him. Because He did the will of the Father. Now let's make application of this. Will God be... Will God commend us in the eternal end or will he condemn us in the eternal end? I mean, it's one way or the other. He's either going to condemn or he's going to commend. It's one way or the other. Now, if we do not do the will of God, we do our own will, we do what we want to do, God's not going to commend us. He's going to condemn us. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity type thing. But if we do the will of God, you know what God's going to say? Well, we go over to Matthew chapter 25 and we find three parables in Matthew 25 and in the second parable twice when those that were using their, their gifts from God who used them properly, although this is in parable form, but he said, well done thou good and faithful servant. Twice he said that to diff two different sermons or two different uh, persons. And so it was a voice of commendation. If we do the will of God like Jesus did the will of God, God will commend us one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now going from there, we look at the transfiguration. Now the transfiguration is found over in, in Matthew, the 17th chapter, and that's the one that I want to specifically look at. And then... We'll put it back in context. It is the case that he took with him Peter, James, and John. Now we refer to Peter, James, and John. This is verse 1 of chapter 17 of Matthew. We refer to Peter, James, and John as the inner three. You know, when we look at the apostles, and you, this is always the case with everybody's life, we have people that we know. That's kind of our are overall people that we know and we have acquaintances of them. And then there are groups of people that we have a greater acquaintance with. And that, that group gets smaller and smaller. And then we have of that group, say like the Ulaga Church, you know, we have that group of people that's greater. But then of that group, there's another group that we are even closer to for various reasons, maybe because of family, maybe because of other reasons, we are close to them. But then there are some that we are most close to. Now that's always true and it doesn't make any difference who it is. It's always the case. And so Jesus was especially close to Peter, James, and John. And of those three, you already know who he was most close to. He was most close to John. Now why was he most close to John? Well, there's probably several reasons for that, but he was. And when Jesus then gathered the apostles in the upper room to institute the Lord's Supper and to, to observe the Passover, who leaned upon Jesus' breast? Well, it was John. And it shows the closeness that John had with Jesus. But of the inner three, Peter, James, and John, he took them and he took them to the mountain and apart. Now, this must have been somewhere in the area of Caesarea Philippi. Now, Caesarea was a city near Mount Hermon, clear up to the way up to the north. Mount Hermon is kind of a unique mountain in a lot of different ways. You could see Mount Hermon from almost any place in Palestine. Of course, obviously not in the valleys, in the deep valleys, but nonetheless, you could see Mount Hermon. It was to the north. It was snow-capped, and almost anywhere in Palestine, you could see Mount Hermon. 
And this is near Mount Hermon where this took place. And it, he was there and he went up to this mountain, this high mountain. And some believe that it was Mount Hermon. We don't know for sure what mountain it was. It doesn't actually say of which mountain. But we know he was in that area. And he was transfigured. And notice the description. His face did shine as the sun. Hmm. Does that remind you of any incident? When the law was given and the children of Israel came out of Egypt and Moses went up to the mountain and he, when he came down, what happened? Well, there his face shined. That's what it reminds me of. And his raiment was white as the light. Not white as snow, but as the light. Now, we're talking about bright, in other words. And behold, there appeared unto him, unto them, rather, Moses and Elias, Elijah in the Old Testament. And they were there. Probably Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. But they were there on that particular occasion. Now, I've always found it interesting and a little bit humorous to think about how Peter reacted. Lord, let me build some tabernacles for the three of you. That's basically what he said. Three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elias. Now, in verse number five, he says, while he yet spake. In other words, while Peter was speaking this, behold, a bright, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. Now, how would have God said that? Well, you know, one of the first times that I used the Jewel Miller film strips, and I'm talking about the old film strips, and you'd have a recording that would go along with it or a record. Some people used records in, the, in years gone by. And they would have this baritone voice for God. Behold, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. I don't know if that was the voice of God or not. We don't know whether he had a baritone voice or whether he had a regular man's voice or what kind of voice he had. But if, if all we're really focused upon is the, the volume or is the, the, um, the pitch of the voice, then we've missed the whole point. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So the father's testimony was... This is my beloved son in whom I well please. Hear ye him. Now this is also recorded in Mark. Mark 9 and verse 7. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Notice that Mark and also Luke does not record in whom I'm well pleased. I don't know why they didn't record them. It must have not stood out in their, in their mind as they recorded it. They didn't contradict. They just didn't include everything that could have been could have been said. But you have a, a fourth time this is recorded. And that's recorded by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 17. Where Peter said, this is my beloved son in whom I am pleased. Now what is interesting about this is most believe that Mark was probably, because Mark was not an apostle, and because Mark was what, who we call John Mark, or sometimes more definitively, we call John Mark. Do you realize this is the Mark that went on the first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and, and Paul, and went back 
And Paul refused to take him. Well, Peter saw, actually Barnabas saw some, some potential in John Mark. He took him to Cyrus and or Cyprus rather and worked there. Peter must have saw some potential in John Mark. He worked with him. And most people believe that Peter's uh, gospel record was recorded by Mark. In other words, Mark wrote down the things that Peter said. And the reason why we believe that, and I do tend toward that direction, is because there's things mentioned about Peter that the other gospel records do not record. And it really was quite revealing about Peter. Things that most of the time people don't want others to know. In other words, it showed the humility of Peter by, by giving these words to Mark to write them down. So Peter had a different insight into it. And he included the idea in whom I'm well pleased. So now we go back to what we were talking about earlier. He said, this is my beloved son. That's the voice of affirmation. Then this is in whom I'm well pleased is the voice of commendation. But then he also declared, hear ye him. And I call this the voice of exhortation. It is absolutely essential that we hear Jesus. Now we ask, we ask ourselves, why do we want to hear Jesus? Well, because he has the words of salvation. That's the first thing that came to my mind. I thought about Peter in the conversion of, of Cornelius. Now this is recorded and the sunshiners can clearly tell us when that was recorded. Acts the 10th chapter and Acts the 11th chapter. Remember sunshiners? Yeah, Acts 10 and Acts 11. And Acts 11 is actually a record that Peter gave in testimony of what had taken place. The chapter 10 is the actual event and chapter 11 is the record of that event that Peter gave to those that were in Jerusalem. And in verse number 14 of Acts 11, there it says, Who shall tell thee... Well, he was given instruction to go get Peter. By He was given instructions from an angel. That is, Cornelius was given instruction by the angel to go get Peter. And he said, Who shall tell thee words by which thou and thy house shall be saved. You see, that's the words of Jesus, and it brings salvation. Now, that's the engrafted word that shall save your souls, James chapter 1 and verse number two, number 2. Why hear Jesus? Well, a second reason that we ought to hear Jesus is because the words of Jesus is the standard of judgment. Now, look over to John, the 12th chapter, and verse, actually, let's go back to verse number 46, and we'll look at verse number 47 as well. And if any man hear my words I, uh, and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. His first coming was the purpose of, of saving the world, not to bring judgment against the world. And so he said, I judge him not. But then he also noted the standard of judgment. He said in verse number 47, And if any man hear my words and believe not, verse, uh, that was verse uh, 47, 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, 
the saints will judge him in the last day. What's going to be our standard of judgment? It's the words that Jesus has spoken. Does that mean all the red letters of the, of the gospel records? No. Can you? I mean, let's, let's really give this some thought. We're talking about three audible witnesses of God. Are we going to be judged by those audible witnesses of God, those audible testimonies of God? Well, they're not in red letters because they weren't the words of Jesus. But they're going to be just as much a part of that judgment that God's provided for us. And since Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and the words that the apostles wrote were the words of the Holy Spirit, which are the words of Christ, then we're going to be judged by the entirety of the New Testament, not just simply those red letters. It's the entirety. The testimony of Jesus is the New Testament, not just the red letters. And so we're going to be judged by them. Why listen to Jesus? Because his words are going to be the standard of judgment. Then let's go over to Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4. Because I think this is a very important passage for us to consider when we talk about the voice of, of exhortation, Hear ye him. In Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4, this is what the Hebrews writer said. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip. Well, why, writer of Hebrews, why should we give that more earnest heed? Well, listen to verse number 2. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. In other words, verse 2 is a reference to the Old Testament Scriptures. It's a reference to the covenant of Moses. It's a reference to the Ten Commandments. If Every transgression of disobedience received a just recompense reward under the Old Testament law. Then what? Well, verse number three. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. If every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward under the Old Testament that was, was full of blood of bulls and goats, if they received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Why listen to Jesus? Because we will be, uh, receive a just recompense of reward. Now let's go over to, for just a moment, let's go over to 2 Peter chapter 1. And we already noted that 2 Peter 1 verse 17 specifically quotes from this particular passage. Now in verse number, uh, 2 Peter 1, let's begin with verse number 16. For we have not uh, followed cunning devised fables... When we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now the majesty is talking about the majesty of Jesus the Christ. And he, excuse me, and he received from God the Father honor and glory. Now, because of what he said in this particular passage, and because of what he referred to, the, the transfiguration, when did Jesus receive honor and glory? 
at the transfiguration. That's when he received it. When he turned into that glowing white, uh, like a light, he then was had received glory and honor. And there came such a voice to him from, from the excellent glory. This is from God. The excellent glory is a reference to God. God the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice came from heaven. We heard and we were with him in the holy mountain. Now look at, looking at this particular verse, there are three things that Peter noted. Peter saw him. Now because of the transfiguration and because he used the plural we there, it was more than just Peter. Remember, three persons went up with Jesus to that mount of transfiguration. Peter, James, and John. And so Peter, James, and John were eyewitnesses of this event. They then secondly, they heard him and they were witness, they were with him. So they, they saw him, they heard him, and they were with him. Now what greater testimony could you have? And so Peter then made it very clear that we ought to hear him. Now the, the third audible uh, testimony of the father is his agony before the cross. And the father there uh, said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now we have to go back to the context to get the full message there of, of, the, of that particular occasion. I know that there's been numerous times when I've been thinking about Jesus and the agony before the cross and the, the things and the events that took place before he went to the cross. And oftentimes think, well, what did he pray? Well, part of what he prayed is recorded here in John the 12th chapter. We have to remember John is a unique book in comparison to the other gospel records. You see, the other gospel record, we call them synoptics because they record basically the same events in different ways. John chose to, to record his gospel record a little bit different way. And what we find within the book of John is the first 11 chapters is basically the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. And from chapter 12 all the way to the end is the last week of his life here on earth. That's what we find in the book of John. And so by far, about a third of, a little bit more than a third of the book of John is within a week's time. And this is an event that took place in that last week of Jesus' life. Most people believe it was probably Monday or Tuesday of that, of that particular week. Now let's go back to the text there and notice what it says in verse 27. Now, Jesus said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Jesus then asked to be saved, to be, to, to be dismissed from this, or to be delivered from this hour. He knew what was going to come upon him. He knew the agony that would, would he have to bear. But notice the determination also. For this cause came I unto this hour. He was determined to go through what God had called upon him to do. And then notice verse 28. He says, Father, 
glorify thy name, glorify your name. Then the voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Now I find that very interesting. Here it is, Jesus agonizing over his own death. And what does he exclaim? Father, glorify your name. I think if we were agonizing over our own death, who would we be pointed to? Self. We'd be looking at self, but not Jesus. you talking about an absolutely amazing son that he would say, glorify, Father, glorify your name. He was talking about wanting the Father's name to be glorified. And God then affirmed, I have both glorified it, that is, glorified his name, his authority, and will glorify it. So he's done it in the past, and he will continue to do it in the future. Now look at verse 29. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it, and that it thundered, others said, an angel spake to him. <laughs> you know, could you imagine being there on that occasion and the Father testifying from heaven? And he said, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And yet there were some that simply did not listen. And they said, it thundered from heaven. And maybe the idea of the thundering from heaven is an indication of the kind of voice that God had. I don't know. But I do know it must have been pretty clear. And I also know from the different passages of the Old Testament, we find various symbols like this, where you have the Father testifying, and it's like a thunder, a thundering that came upon them. And then others said it was an angel. In other words, they denied that it was from God. But Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now listen to what Jesus said. It is amazing to me. He was basically saying, I didn't need that voice. I didn't need the reassurance. I already knew that the Father would glorify his, himself. The Father would glorify his authority in the past and in the future. I already knew it. He said, but I, he said it for your sakes. He wanted you to know this. Now to those that didn't listen, to those who thought it thundered, to those that they thought it was the voice of an angel, well, you know, they probably didn't recognize the Father's authority. And therefore they rejected it. But I think the question really becomes, what about us? You see, what we find here, like we found in the other places, we find the voice of declaration. I will glor I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. It is the voice of, uh, of declaration. And so uh, you find then two requests of Jesus. The first request, save me from this hour. The second request, glorify thy name. In both requests, he specifically addressed the Father. Father, save me from this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And then you have the declaration. I have glorified it and will glorify it. 
And the purpose then, look at verse 30. Though we didn't read all the way down through verse 30, but look at verse 30. He said, uh, The voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up will, uh, from the earth, will draw all men unto me. And so that's for this voice of declaration then declared his will to that. And that voice was for the disciples. Now, did you hear the three audible testimonies of God? Did you hear the three audible testimonies of the Father? But you know, the question is, did you listen? You know, there's a difference between hearing and a, between listening. And we all know that. I mean, the, the parent goes into the room and he's told the kids to pick up the toys. And then he comes back and he says, didn't you hear me? Didn't you listen? Is it really about the audible voice? Or is it about the words that he spoke? I think we all know the answer to that question. It's really about, is it really about the simple act of hearing or listening. No. You see, when we hear the voice and the testimony of God, then we ask ourselves, what do I need to do as a result? How can I respond to what I've heard? How can I act in what, what I've heard from the audible testimonies of God? Did you listen? I hope that all of us did. And we heard those three testimonies of the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. I will glorify my name, or I have glorified my name, and will glorify my name. If we can help you in any way this evening, we invite you to come as together we stand and sing to encourage you. We're going to sing three verses.